Yeah. Did this change everything for you? We were talking a few weeks ago about um, the Christmas series, and we always try to have like a theme that we focus in on. And um, we were kind of talking around the, you know, this changed everything. You know, I've seen other churches do that. This changed everything. And we started having this conversation of like, but did it? But did it? Obviously, we know. You know, you look at history, even our date corresponds with when Jesus uh, was born. It's like slightly off, apparently, by a few years. Somebody doesn't know math or is as good at math as I am. Um, but, but like every, right, we know that Jesus, even like Time Magazine, even the media, even um, atheist historians can see that Jesus is the most influential person who's ever lived, right? So he literally changed everything, but that really doesn't matter unless you get to the point of going, did he change everything for me? Did he change everything for you? We're going to go off today because I don't usually drink a lot of Red Bull, but I'm drinking Red Bull today. So, yes. <laughs> so, revival in a can. Yep, something like that. Like, Jenna introduced me to all the fancy flavors, and now I'm hooked. So, it's a problem. Thank you, Jenna. Um, <laughs> so, the, so, the truth is, like I mentioned... There's really not very much doubt at all that Jesus existed, right? Even I was looking up and even Wikipedia says virtually all scholars of antiquity accept that Jesus was a historical figure and, and any attempts to deny his historicity have been consistently rejected by the scholarly consens consensus as a fringe theory. So like even those who just don't even want to accept that Jesus is God or whatever, they're going, no, absolutely he lived. Absolutely he lived. And then it takes us to, okay, well, if he lived, then is he who he says he is, right? And, and you guys will probably have heard a lot of different um, comments on this, but I was particularly interested in this one that was uh, by a rabbi, John Duncan, in the mid-1800s. <clears throat> and he said, Christ either, one, deceived mankind by conscious fraud, or two, he was himself deluded and self-deceived, or three, he was divine. There is no getting out of this trilemma. C.S. <laughs> Lewis, um, a few decades later, uh, ended up saying something that that's, I think has stuck with all of us. He said Jesus was either a lunatic, right? So he was either self-deceived. He was a liar, so purposefully lied about who he was, or he's Lord. And others have tried to put on that he's legend, but we already discussed that, right? That even like everybody says that he absolutely existed. So he's not just legend, but is he a lunatic, is he a liar, is he Lord? That's really the only options. Either he was so crazy, but this crazy man managed to change the entire world. Or he was lying to all of us, but then I want to question, like, well then, how is he still lying to us, right? Or he is Lord. Or he is Lord. I was reading that around the end of the 300s A.D., there was estimated to be about 7 million Christians already. Christianity really just took off, right? Like just 
the influence that he had just escalated after his resurrection. And so many were, like the thousands were coming to Jesus every single day. But what's interesting is 7 million people were saved. And it's estimated that out of those 7 million, about 2 million of them are martyred. I don't know if we have the slide. Do we have the slide with all the picture, the people, the little people? No? All right, cool. Um, so I had a slide that had a whole bunch of people. And we could, we could see how, if I'm not very good at math, like I mentioned, but as I kind of did the math on that, I'm like, okay, that's 28.57%. So it's close to a third. Now, I want you to think back on the time, if you, if you are a Christian, if you've given your life to Jesus, and if you haven't, then we hope to give you an opportunity to, to today. But think back on the time where you kind of said yes. Maybe it was one moment. Maybe it was just kind of over a you know, time in your life or where you said yes to Jesus. Probably during that time, you, you know, had some conviction about, okay, I recognize that I haven't been living the way that I should be, and so I need a Savior. You maybe had um, just a whole bunch of gratitude, like, wow, how is it that the, the God of the universe is looking at me? Ooh, I'm getting hit with that. <laughs> how is it that the God of the universe who created everything sees me and cares about me and cares about me, not only where I'm going, <laughs> for all eternity, but also me right now. Like you probably got hit with some gratitude, right? You probably got hit with some amazement. Like, wow, look at this God that would choose to come down. Look at this God. And there's probably been, you know, hundreds of times where even in this church we've gone, you know what, if you want to give your life to Christ, and this is true, if you want to give your life to Christ, if you're feeling that burning in your heart and you're going, man, I'm, Jesus, I need you, all you have to do is turn to him. And it's a free gift that's given to you, right? You've probably heard us say that many times and maybe your experience was that, was that. And maybe we said, you know, go and pray with somebody or take out, there's a card in front of your seat if you wanna just record, if you gave your life to Jesus today. But also at the bottom of that card, I just wanna let you know that if you say yes to Jesus today, that either you or the perth- one of the two people on either side of you will be killed for this decision. Please sign here. Thanks. <laughs> it makes it a little different, right? Yeah. It's no longer just a like, oh, well, I kind of think I feel like it. <laughs> like, that sounds nice. But suddenly we're hit with, would you still be sitting here if that were the reality? And I don't ask that to be like mean. You didn't come to church for me to yell at you. <laughs> I ask that because I have that same conviction. Would I still be here? I mean, there have been moments in my life where I've gone evangelism, like telling people about Jesus, like that's not my gift. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to go over here and do something different. That's actually one of the things that that doesn't matter if it's your gift or not. We're all called to do it, right? But it's so scary. It's so scary. And yet here were these people who said, this really changed everything for me to the point where I'm willing to give my life for it to the point where I'm willing to do whatever he asks me to do, it really changed everything. Why were they coming to Jesus in droves? Because he changed everything. Why were all of the disciples 
except John, martyred for their faith. And if you've been in some of our other series, you know this is one of my favorite stories, that John was the only one of the disciples who was not killed, and it wasn't for lack of trying. They tried to kill him, and they couldn't. They tried to boil him in oil. Like, that's some Daniel in the lion's den, fiery furnace stuff. I love that. And they couldn't kill him. They eventually just had to stick him on an island because they couldn't get rid of him, right? And so, all, but all, the point is all of them gave their life for this Jesus, because he changed everything. In fact, they, the way that we got our Bible now, the Bible that's sitting under your seat or, you know, dusty on your side table or wherever it is, like the way we got that Bible was because they knew which letters were the ones who were, that were really inspired by God because people would die to preserve and protect those letters that have now become our Bible. So not just for their faith, but they were willing to die for the word that we sometimes forget to read, right? It changed everything. Did this really change everything for you? Jesus, this Jesus who came. I always think about that, right? God is perfect in paradise, like never faced any of the terrible things that we've faced. He's perfect. The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is there. They've never experienced being separated. They've never experienced anything less than perfection. Paradise. And yet, Father sends his Son and the Son goes willingly. And doesn't just come down in power, but comes down as the most vulnerable, the most vulnerable baby to live a life so that he can say he lived just like we do. He's faced all the pain that we have. He's faced hunger. He's faced loss. He's faced rejection like we can't even imagine. And then he lived this life, he went out, and even as he's just bringing the good news, as he's bringing, he's like people are being saved and miracles are happening all around him, and yet even in the midst of that, people are ridiculing and rejecting him and trying to you know, accuse him and beat him and all of this. And eventually, his time comes, and he is beaten, and he's put on that cross. But he doesn't stay there. He is raised to life again, and this changed everything. But did it change everything for you? Has it changed your whole life? Or is it just one thing you do every Sunday? Has it changed the way you treat your family? Has it changed the way you do your finances? Has it changed the way you make your decisions? Has it changed what happens when someone gets sick? Has it changed everything for you? Because what he did truly has the ability to change everything. But it all depends on what you believe. Even Jesus himself, he has the disciples are coming and questioning, well, who are you? Some say you're a great prophet and some say, you know, you're Elijah come back down and all these different things. And he goes, but who do you say I am? He's like, I don't care who they say I am, who do you say I am? And that's the question. 
God doesn't care who Time Magazine or Wikipedia says he is. Jesus doesn't care who the church, you know, the person in the church. Yeah, of course he cares about them too. But he, right now for you, he's asking you, but who do you say I am? Because you don't get to come to me through somebody else's answer to that question. It all comes down to who do you say I am? Did this really change everything for you? Yes, it changed history. Yes, it fulfilled thousands of years of prophecy. Yes, even like we talked about, even atheists acknowledge that it changed everything in the world. The moral fabric of the world was changed because of Jesus coming. But what about you? You see, the Jews at the time, the Jewish people, they needed answers. They needed the Messiah to come and give them answers to this problem of sin and rebellion that they kept falling into generation after generation. And they're like, when is that Messiah coming? Because we can't keep up. <laughs> like, we can't keep up with this covenant that we're in. We keep messing it up. We keep, all this stuff keeps happening. So they're looking for answers. And then the Gentiles, the non-Jews at the time, are looking for acceptance. You see, they had seen this chosen people and they're going like, we're kind of just trying to flail out here. And they're looking for, for this God of the universe to accept them. And Jesus brings both the answer and the acceptance. I read a quote this last week by Puritan John Flavel. Flavel, there you go. He says, the longer you know Christ, the nearer you come to him. Still the more you see of his glory. So the longer you know Christ, the more you come to him. And every time you see even more of his glory. And then he says, every farther prospect of Christ entertains the mind with a fresh delight. He is, as it were, a new Christ every day and yet the same Christ still. It's like the more we get to know him, the more we see his glory, the more we see how good he is. He shows us new parts of who he is. He shows us how big he is. He shows us how massive this kingdom advancing plan of his is. He shows us how near he is. He shows us how good he is. And every day it's like you get to see a new Christ and yet he's still the same. I love that. Amen. I love that. I was reading through Acts chapter 17. <clears throat> This last week, um, Acts really tells the stories after, so the, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, really tell the story of Jesus and his life. And Acts then goes on to basically share about the early church and how uh, the disciples and the apostles went out and spread this message. And so in, in chapter um, 17 of Acts, <clears throat> Paul, he's kind of the apostle of the apostles, he's, he's, he wasn't around he wasn't one of Jesus' disciples um, while he was alive, but he has this powerful, crazy, fall-in-your-face encounter with Jesus, and everything changes for him. And Paul goes into Athens, and he is just, in Acts 17, he's just so concerned with what he sees. He sees idol worship, and he sees, you know, just all of the people are just um, into pagan worship and all these different things, and he's really concerned about it. And it talks about how there, are, there were highly sophisticated philosophers in Athens. And even in Acts 17, um, it talks about how these philosophers would spend all their time every day constantly just looking at new ideas and new things, philosophizing. Anybody like philosophy? 
I took a philosophy class in college and I was like fascinated by it. It was like, my brain hurts and I love it. So uh, <laughs> I love that kind of stuff. But this is what these like, these men and women were doing constantly, just like, okay, what are the new ideas? And they were falling into all these things and, and worshiping all of these idols and, you know, things that are made out of gold and, and just had all these different, you know, basically knowledge had become their God in a lot of ways. So Paul walks into this and he's just like, man, what is going on here? I don't, this is not good. But he uses every opportunity to then preach. So he's preaching out in the, in the city and this is how they keep getting thrown in prison and yet they keep doing it. And so he's preaching out and then he gets the opportunity to actually go to um, Aeropagus. I'm going to probably say that wrong. Um, but these were basically the, the high council of these philosophers. And he gets an opportunity to go and to speak to this high council. And he's like, yes, let's take it. And he's brilliant. Paul is brilliant. He's like the most brilliant preacher. Because um, what he does is he looks around and he starts to notice all these different, you know, um, pagans and, and idols that are being literally just worshipped in the streets or in temples or being erected to them and all of that. And he finds this one to the unknown God. And we're going to read it in just a second. But Paul uses that to basically come and introduce to this high council, these philosophers, these high up men and women. Um, he basically gets to come and share with them about the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, the creator of everything. This God who is so much more than an idol that is formed by man's hands. This God who is the sustainer of life, the ruler of the nations, the one true God. He even then quotes some of their philosophers and their poets. You'll see there's a couple quotes in there and he actually quotes some of, in order to like grab them in and be like, hey, you know you said that or you heard that or you believe that? This is the God that you're talking about. This is the ultimate truth. <clears throat> so let's start in verse, I think it's 22. There you go. It says, then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. And what I love about even that is like, God did put himself in a box for us in the old covenant. Right? He did put himself in the tabernacle. And he, and he was, he allowed himself to be served by human hands even though he's so much bigger than that. Right. He made himself what we could handle. And he still does that today. But he constantly asks us, let me out of the box. Amen. He constantly reminds us, you are now the living temple. Right. As if he needed anything from us, and yet he chooses us anyway. Let's keep going. 25, rather he himself gives everyone life, and breath, and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history, and the boundaries of their land. 
if you ever question why you're here, whether locally, whether in this time, whether who you are, just know this is the God who marked it all out. You are here on purpose, with purpose. Verse 27, God did this. God did this so that they, so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Can you imagine that scene? Like as Paul is here preaching to all these people who know nothing about Jesus and he's going, you know that, you know that altar out there to the unknown God? I'm going to tell you all about him. He is the one with, within him we live and we move and we have our being. And I was going and searching these words and in the original, to live is to, to have um, vitality, physical vitality, right? So he's making the point with them of like, you know, we, for us, I think we kind of go like, they make golden calves and they like make all these statues and we're like, that's so silly. And then we turn our TV on, <laughs> we pick our phone up, we look at our bank account. It's just the same thing. It's just different idols, right? And he's just going, you have all these different idols. And he gets to stand there and he goes, but they, all these things that you are worshiping are just physical. And he is so much more. He's not just an inanimate object. He is a living, breathing God. And through him, you have life. Like literally you have breath. Like literally right now, focus in on your breath. You don't have that without him saying yes. You don't, you don't get to breathe in and out without his spirit giving you that breath. We don't even think about it, right? But he gives us breath and he gives us life and he gives us everything else. And he's saying to these men, these philosophers, he's saying those things that you worship are nothing. I'm telling you about the one who made everything and he is alive and he gives you life. So in him we live and we move. It talks about, move, that, that word means to move physically and spiritually, right? That we move in him, like we physically, again, same thing, breath, we move because he says, yeah, move, because he created our brains, because he created our bodies, because we have all of that, but we actually spiritually move with him. We are not here except that he draws us in right? And so we move with him. And I want to encourage us that we actually need to take these steps to go, God, where are you moving? What are you doing? I really had the sense that this morning during prayer <clears throat> that we're supposed to be watching for what God's doing. The same way that Jesus said, right, that I don't do anything except what I see my father doing. And we need to be constantly watching. Like our number one priority, our number one job in life should be looking around, praying, okay, God, what are you doing and, and how can I partner with you? Oh, that person looks like they could use some prayer. Let me go. Like, okay, God, wait. Do I just go up and say like, do you want me to pray for you? Or do I like go start a conversation? Like he even will give you the strategy, 
right? God, help me as I'm moving through my day. What is it that you want me to do? How do you want me to move? What are we doing together? Isaiah 40, 29 through 31 says, he gives strength to the weary and he increases the power of the weak. <clears throat> that was brought up a few times this morning too, is that maybe there's, there are a few people who sense that there might be people today who are feeling weary and struggling. And I just got that sense as I read that again. And so right now, I actually just want to pause everything and just, just invite Holy Spirit into that. Holy Spirit, God, we just, right now, for any person who maybe is feeling weary, God is feeling like it's just too much. Like, I hear all this truth and that's all great, but like, right now I feel like I'm dying. Holy Spirit, right now, we just pray that you would fall powerfully in this place, that you would fall on every heart, and especially, God, those who are feeling weak or weary. God, that you would give them their strength. My favorite scripture is 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 12, 9 and 10. And in that you say that it is when we actually boast in our insults and in our weaknesses and our rejections and the, the hard things that we often want to hide, when we actually go, no, I'm going to give those weaknesses to you, that you are made strong in us. It's your grace that is made strong in us. So right now, I just release that to every single person who's feeling weak, that you would have the power and the strength of the Lord God Almighty on you right now, that you would feel it tangibly in your spirit, that something would rise up in you, a hope would rise up in you. <clears throat> And energy would rise up in you. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Continues, even youths grow weary, tired, and weary. Somebody please, Jesus, tell that to my children. Even youths grow tired and weary. My kids are like, they never do. It's like one o'clock in the morning. They're like, wah. That only happened one time because it was not our fault. Um, <laughs> just kidding. It's totally our fault. Um, even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. We move with him. And then lastly it says, for in him we live and we move and we have our being. And I looked that word up, being, in the original uh, Greek and I was fascinated because usually there's like a ton of different definitions. It's this and it's this and it's this and it like gives all these descriptions. And all it said is, we are. We are. The first person plural, we are. So literally it's like Paul here is saying, in him we live and we move and we become totally unified to where it's like God and us, we are. We are. We are one. We are together. I in you and me in them is what we talked about last week in John 17, where Jesus is praying and he's saying like, God, Father, the same way that you and I are one, I am in them. Let them be one with each other and let, let them be one with us. There's like a crazy unity that happens when we accept Jesus as Lord because we become one with him and we become one with his people. And it's amazing, and I, I can't even fathom it, but it's we are. We are. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. <clears throat> and that's why what he did and what he does every day can change everything in our lives if we will let it. 
if we will let it. Right after this, <clears throat> Paul's talking and he, and he you know, finishes his message. And it says, <clears throat> when they heard it, because he, he goes on and he talks about the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, and then the resurrection of the dead, all of us will rise with him. And it says, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. And then it goes on to talk about, and many were saved, and it starts to list some of the people that were saved that became a huge part of Jesus' ministry, or of, of Paul's ministry, sorry. And Jesus' ministry. <laughs> the truth is, when we are faced with the reality of this God, this God who gives us life and breath and everything else, we get to answer the same question that Jesus asked his disciples, and who do you say I am? And will you let it change everything? And will you let that little manger scene and the, the cute nativity story and the craziness of the season and, and the cross that he chose to die on, he chose to for you and me, and the empty tomb, will you let that all change everything in your life? Or will you just let it be a little part of your life? Because the truth is, it can change everything. It can change everything. It can bring health where there is sickness and hurt and pain. It can bring healing he can bring love. He can bring hope. He can bring resurrection life into your life if you will answer the question, who do you say I am? And if you will allow him to be Lord over your life. <clears throat> will you pray with me as we close? Jesus, we are so grateful that we do not need to, we do not need to stand and worship at altars made by men. We do not need to worship the unknown God because we're so desperately just seeking answers because we know you. We know your truth. Jesus, right now, for any one of us who has not ever answered that question, who do you say I am? Lord, if there's anyone that you're stirring on their heart to say, Lord, I believe that you are the God of the universe. You are the God who gives me life and breath and everything else. <clears throat> right now, God, we just invite them to make that decision. And if that's you right now, I just want to invite you right now to say, Jesus, I allow you to change everything in my life. God, I allow you to come in and be Lord. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I thank you so much for the forgiveness that you've given me freely, for this gift of salvation that you've given me freely. And I step into your presence and I invite your Holy Spirit to live inside of me right now. If anyone's made that decision, will you just raise your hand so we could be praying for you? Thank you, Jesus.
Lord, I also just pray for any one of us who's going, I've said yes to you, but I so often say no at the same time. I say no to that part of my life. I say no to, you know, just getting in any deeper or getting weird about this whole Christianity thing. God, we, we repent right now of any time that fear, fear of man, fear of what other people will think of us, fear of our future, fear that you'll ask too much, any time that fear has gotten in the way of us saying yes, 100%, whatever you want, whatever you say, God. We just repent of those, time, those things. And we say yes to you, 100%. We're all in. Jesus, you have changed everything in history. And yet there are still so many people who are walking without knowing you. And so we give our whole lives to make your name known, to make your name huge. Jesus, we just, we ask you to, to bless us. God, to pour out your love on us so that we're just overflowing that we're just overflowing and we get to just go love people around us, God. Doesn't matter their mess, it doesn't matter our mess. God, we just wanna love people. We just wanna love people with your love because that love transforms. Jesus, you are so good. And in you, we live and we move and we have our being. God, we pray for that oneness with you to be more real than we have ever experienced before in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. <laughs>